0: The truth of what we just declared together is that God will never let us down. And let me be crystal clear, there's no one else we can say that about. It doesn't matter who is elected. It doesn't matter who you are in relationship with at a human level. There is only one who keeps his promise fully and that can be trusted. Welcome to Lake Avenue Church. Dwayne, I'm putting in my request for an Andy and Lauren Goldline concert, so that I will not feel guilty anymore about not wanting to sing when you have them together. I can just soak it in, and we can have it whenever we want on demand. So there is my request, and now you will see Lake Avenue Church, how much power the senior pastor position does not have. Couple of other things before we jump into the sermon. Don't worry, we're getting there. You hang tight. I'm trying not to, to to belabor anything. Let me start my timer. Uh, In the last couple of weeks, I've gotten so many questions about where Jeremy Rose is, and uh, I find that encouraging and discouraging. Discouraging that it took you two months to ask the question, encouraging that you miss him. If you missed the memo, Jeremy has been on sabbatical, a well-deserved sabbatical, to work on his doctorate degree and to hold down uh, the fort of homeschool with the the clan of boys they have. And the good news is he will be back next weekend. So... um, There you have it. Jeremy will be back next week. We are so grateful to have him back. I also want to make mention that if you are a a woman or of the female gender in this congregation, uh, 10 to 1130 next Saturday is a women's event called Let's Connect. I I would like to be there myself, but it's not for me, but I invite you to that. We already have um, a a lot of people signed up. It's it's an hour and a half. It is meant to restore you, to encourage you, and I am encouraging you no matter what age you are or whether you you go to every women's event or you go to none of them here. I invite you to be with the women of Lake Avenue Church next weekend. The other thing, we made a call on Friday about canceling our evening service on Sunday. If you're streaming this later, this is old news um, because of rain. And hey, we did our best. Uh, maybe it will rain today. Maybe it won't. But the way we are living in this pandemic world <laughs> is that we have to schedule people early on. And so there is no service tonight tonight. Um, and we also are becoming aware it's getting darker and colder. And so stay tuned. There might be some adjustments to time for our, for our live outdoor service. And I assume many of you are wanting to know if I'm going to say something. Am I going to say something about something that happened yesterday? And the, question, the answer is yes. And I want to be the first to congratulate the USC football team for winning their first game. And I recognize that my Bruins have lost. And so is life. Now, for other things, I am going to make some general comments to frame our sermon around the election. And then at the benediction, I will share some more specific comments about what that means for our community. But I am going to preach what we have scheduled to preach, which I believe speaks perfectly and timely, the name of our series, to the moment we are in. I'm asking uh, our staff to put into the chat right now, a link to a chapel message that was given this week at Wheaton College by Dr. Vincent Baycote. Uh, Dr. Baycote has actually been in our church building before. I met him about five years ago, I think, when Pastor Jeff Leo brought him to our campus. Uh, Dr. Becote uh, is an associate professor of theology and the director of Center of Applied Christian Ethics at Wheaton College. Pastor Greg sent me this chapel message earlier this week, and I have found it to be brilliant. And I hope you will take time after, 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 after the message, um, especially if the election weighs heavily one way or the other on you. If you experience a significant amount of, uh, of joy and emotion or a significant amount of pain and sorrow, I believe Dr. Baycote has something significant to encourage us. And, and I just want to say... What I found so important about what he says is he draws a line for us as Christians, the difference between patriotism and nationalism. And he says to say yes to patriotism. And patriotism, his definition, the proper care, concern, and regard for the good and the flourishing of wherever you're living, whatever state, whatever country. In fact, with Veterans Day coming upon us this week, I see that as, uh, as just great patriotism in many ways. Many of you, a giving of your life and service to this country for the good and flourishing. Now, he draws a distinction between that, saying yes to patriotism and no to nationalism. An absolute no, he says. Essentially what he says, nationalism is I worship my country or I worship my political party in my country. And Dr. Baycote I think has something strong to say to the church, uh, for our church. Um, He encourages to make sure that we are bringing our flag, our country, our political party to the feet of the cross, not draping it over the cross. And he reminds us, and this is a, a quote from what I'm asking you to watch. No election, no election is a referendum on whether the apocalypse will happen. God will bring about the end when he decides. Nothing that happens in the ballot box is a surprise to him and nothing to which he is subject. None but Jesus. That is the call on us this morning. That is what I invite you into and to reject the belief that somehow God is subject to do or not do what we think he's going to do or not do. Either extending the apocalypse because the way the election went or the sooner the apocalypse is coming, God will do what God's going to do. Will you pray with me? Father, we need your help this morning. We need your help to see your word. We need your help uh, to be encouraged by you so that we might be found faithful in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. The undercurrent of the past few months have been highlighted um, and and overtaken in many ways by both the pandemic and the political division that we live in. But there's an unfortunate reality to the last few months of other stories that have emerged for those of us who follow Jesus. Now, unfortunately, these aren't new stories. And I don't know if we ever get away from this constant reality of hearing of another Christian leader or a Christian statesman who had some level of a moral failure in fact this week a very prominent pastor was removed from his position uh, by their church only to find out that there was infidelity in his marriage when I found out about this before uh, they were declaring what the actual issue was I found in my spirit already saddened and knowing statistically that he probably wasn't removed Uh, Because he said something that a few people in the church didn't like. He was probably removed for some kind of moral issue. Now, James has reminded us last week, we look, so I say these things with humility, that we all stumble in many ways. But I think the heart of what uh, is behind what is so deeply troubling and consistently disappointing is when we find out that there's someone who we have uh, experienced the power of their words, through the spirit and to see those moments when their life doesn't match what they say now truth be told that's all of us at some level that's me at some level I mean we are all in pursuit of becoming more like Jesus but the deeply troubling moment to find that the person whose words have shaped us who have helped us who have encouraged us aren't consistent with the very life that they've lived. In fact, last week, we talked about with the tongue, it makes great boasts, right? And, and, and then later in James 3, before we get to the text today, it says that with the same tongue, we can praise the Lord Jesus Christ and curse another human being made in God's image. With the, with the tongue, we can say one thing to God. And with the tongue, we can say totally different things, whether they be evil, boastful, uh, horrible, cursing type things to one another, or if they're words that entice us into a life of sin. That is, uh, that is the danger James is speaking about. And what we will see today is building off this reality of the power of our words, how powerless we are, why we need the Lord and one another, He starts comparing two wisdoms that are out there, two kind of philosophies, two ways of understanding what is true and good and right. We're going to see that in the text. But before we read it, he talks about one from being above. And obviously, maybe not obvious to you, that means wisdom from God. Wisdom from above. And he compares that in verse 15 to a wisdom that comes from somewhere else. Not of God. The words you will hear are earthly unspiritual and demonic wisdom from above wisdom from another place earthly unspiritual demonic the reality is this church these two wisdoms oftentimes feel like they travel in the same lane it's like when we merge onto the freeway at what point have we moved from from above into worldly from from a world perspective And I think oftentimes that merge happens all the time where we start quoting or thinking that the wisdom we are living by is from the Lord when really it's not or when we're claiming that this is of the world and and sometimes actually that is a a godly kind of (laughs) wisdom and we need help because the world that you and I live in, these wisdoms are merged and they go in and out and in and out and my prayer for the next few moments is that we would slow down And that we would see these two different lanes that we can understand a little more fully today and this next week where we're we're living, where we're driving. That we'd be able to discern what is godly wisdom versus that wisdom from afar. If you have a copy of the scriptures, we will be in James chapter 3 starting in verse 13. I invite you to stand for the reading of God's word. And James says... For where you have envy and selfish ambition, there you find disorder and every evil practice. But the wisdom that comes from heaven is first of all pure. Then peace-loving, considerate, submissive, full of mercy and good fruit, impartial and sincere peacemakers who sow in peace reap a harvest of righteousness father thank you for your word and we ask now that your word would take root in our hearts in our minds in our lives in Jesus name we pray amen you may be seated and I know many of you didn't even stand so that's okay three observations from this text no slides today this is what happens when you have a national election and you're trying to be responsive to the spirit it's all handwritten, but I believe I've studied well and God has a word for each one of us. first thing I want you to see in verse thing is that wisdom is manifest, not manufactured. Wisdom is manifest, not manufactured. Verse 13, who among you is wise, let them show it by their good life, by deeds done in humility that come from wisdom. And remember, James is just talking about words. What we can see right here is that wisdom is more than just speaking. It's actual manifest in our life. It's the way we live our good life and deeds done. What is James saying? When I say manifest versus manufactured, what he is saying is that wisdom is shown, not only spoken. That wisdom is is shown through a life not declaring something it's when we live something it's in our being not our doing that's why we talk about intimacy all of the time Uh, our our wisdom isn't just what happens what we think or what we write or our positions wisdom is deeper and that goes to that question Chuck asks our family what's the difference between facts and wisdom Wisdom is, is, is lived, it's manifest, it comes out from us. It's almost evidence of our intimacy with Jesus. And, 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 when, and when James says in verse 13, uh, the humility, that, that means is wisdom isn't something one gets to declare about themselves, wisdom is something that is declared about them. If you go around and say, I am a wise person, look at my good life, that's not really the way wisdom is manifest. You want other folk to say about you, that is a wise person. Look at that good life. Look at that, <laughs> that humility of that person. Humility isn't declared by self it's declared by others humility is demonstrated and confirmed outside of yourself so when I say that wisdom is manifest not manufactured the uh, bad news is for some of us that are more program driven that want maybe in a sermon like this to get the five things you need to do this week to be wise it's not really the way James teaches James teaches of a different kind of intimacy with God and a priority and a perspective. And as we enter into that relationship with Jesus and our being with God, there's a transformation that happens and wisdom becomes manifest. So I want you to see that in verse 13. The second thing I want you to see in this text and this is where we're starting to see the juxtaposition between the two kinds of wisdom. So here, there's a, there's a, there's a manifestation that happens in the negative, and there's a manifestation that happens in the positive, in the, in the godly wisdom from above versus the wisdom from, that is unearthly. What I want you to see in verse 16, really 14 through 16, is that envy and selfish ambition manifest disorder and Every evil practice, straight out of the scripture. Envy and selfish ambition manifest disorder in every evil practice. Listen to the scripture again. But if you harbor bitter envy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast about it or deny the truth. Such wisdom does not come down from heaven, but is earthly, unspiritual, and demonic. And listen to this. For where you have envy and selfish ambition, there you find disorder and every evil practice this is the way we know what lane we're in so i need you to listen envy and selfish ambition What does that mean we often know what envy means but in this context and in this letter listen to some nuance envy obviously the desire for something that belongs to someone else a hunger for more and more a hunger to be more and more the writer here, James, uses the word bitter. Some translations that you're reading say bitter zeal. A bitter envy. Uh, what, what does that bitterness mean? Well, an overconfidence. An overconfidence that this drive I have for, the, for myself, this drive I have for more and more, this drive that I have uh, for something that belongs to someone else, that actually I'm kind of right about this. An overconfidence of the correctness. Of these kinds of pursuits and focus. A zealot, a zealot not in a positive way. Peter Davids, in his commentary that was written in 1982, I just found this quote to be so timely for us today about this part of envy, this bitter envy. He says, The zealot sees himself as jealous for the truth, but God and others see the bitterness, rigidity, and personal pride which are far from the truth you're someone that struggles with envy right your focus is on this like what in in this righteousness this kind of self-righteousness that what I'm going after that's just being true that's just being like what what I deserve and everybody outside maybe not everybody but God certainly and those who are close enough to you go yeah a little bitter a little rigid A lot of pride, which are kind of the opposite of the truth. The contradiction. So envy. And he also talks about selfish ambition. Self-interest. Self-seeking pursuits. Kind of an at all cost. I'm going after me. Away from relationships and impact of other people. I'll tell a story in a moment how you, you will hear about me. In my own selfish ambition. But in this context. Where James is speaking to this very fragile. Messianic community. If you remember. Who's trying to figure out how to follow Jesus. In, 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 in a very difficult culture. What was happening. And what he's writing to. Is that the, 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 those who had selfish ambition. Within this new community of followers of Jesus. That they, they would be so into their own self. And ambition. To the point of withdrawal. In fact, Jeannie Soraya says the point that jealous, they were jealous and angry enough over some issues that he or she would withdraw physically or psychologically from the faith community. Selfish ambition, self-seeking pursuit, self-interest, to the point of being so right and so focused on what, 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 whatever the thing is. That I'm to withdraw from others who don't view it that way. A me over we. A me at all costs. And what James is saying is that the impact, the manifestation of envy and selfish ambition is found in verse 16, where he says this kind of thinking, this worldly wisdom one it comes from a totally different place it's earthly demonic unspiritual and it results in disorder and every evil practice disorder very clear instability I would think that in verse in chapter 1 verse 8 when we talked about James talks about the double-minded person that's like a, a an instability a disorder so at an individual level disorder comes to the person who follows this worldly earthly wisdom that that is characterized by envy and selfish ambition. There's an instability and a disorder. And then also every evil practice. Well, what does he mean by that? Well, I think it's important to understand He's talking about corruption. So not only does the individual have a, a level of disorder and instability, but the society and the people around them, the community, the church community, actually has acts and deeds concrete things that bring corruption and disorder to it and very specifically James in their context there was a reality that would envy and self ambition emerge within their church community division social division happens and violence can happen and I'd love to say that 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 is a stretch and remember the day when the Bible was written where somehow selfish ambition and envy would lead to violence. And then I got humbled and went, well, isn't that human history? Selfish ambition, envy, wanting what's not ours. I mean, how many wars and countries have, that's the story of of where they are. That There was a leader, there was a person, there was an issue that led to violence and division. What James is saying is that envy and selfish ambition has consequences, both internally for the individual the double-minded person, but quite literally for the larger community. A way that worldly wisdom, earthly, unspiritual, demonic wisdom is focused on envy, it's focused on self-interest, and the evidence of that, what's manifest, is disorder and evil practices. 1 Corinthians 3, Paul speaks to this this kind of reality within another church and characterizes it as worldly wisdom. Paul writes that uh, in chapter 3 of 1 Corinthians, that jealousy and arguing that is happening within the Christian community illustrates worldly wisdom playing out in their community. Jealousy, arguing, disorder, Social division, even violence, is evidence of a different kind of wisdom, not from above. Now, now, this is where I, I, I hope what you're hearing is some humility. It's really easy to preach it. It is so easy to see this in someone else or another country or in another individual. It's easy to point out somebody else's bitterness, somebody else's envy, how their ambition is the problem. But this morning, my question is, what about you? what about me I don't think I can be faithful to this text by giving illustration after illustration of how somebody else is bitter or, or their selfish ambition is leading to something in fact I mean that's really the headlines we live in that's that's kind of the the soup of the day we don't have to get very far in a newspaper or, or a website to find out another accusation about somebody else who's leading to these things and just at a very concrete level um, what I have been more aware of during this pandemic than ever is how Jeff Matisich goes in our home is how the family goes. Meaning what? Meaning that I hold an incredible amount of power and influence in my home. Some of that is my size and my volume. Some of that is my personality. Some of that is because I am the man of, this ho- of my house, of our home which means when I am focused on me, when I am focused on what I need to do or how I'm the most important contributor to what's happening in this moment, and then disorder starts emerging from the ranks, it's really easy for me to get mad at the disorder without looking at the mirror and going, how am I contributing to this? My selfish ambition, my self-focus Me telling everybody, I've got to do the sermon now. Quiet down. Stop being a kid. I mean, I know you've had a hard week, but it's Saturday. It's my day. See, selfish ambition. And it doesn't quite work. And then the boys start arguing. And and it's just noisier and loud. And there's disorder that happens. See how this works. When we focus on self, what emerges Now, the good news is there's another wisdom. There's another wisdom that James writes about being from above, this godly wisdom. And there is much to, verse 17, much to verse 17 and 18. And I'm going to trust you can get there because I think the most important thing the Spirit has asked me to focus on is to notice the priority of pure in godly wisdom. Read with me in 17. But the wisdom that comes from heaven is first of all pure semicolon. Don't lump pure as a comma to the next seven attributes that are come. This is significant. First of all pure. Pastor Greg and I were speaking yesterday over text. He was so helpful. This Greek word hagne. This word for peace. Peace or for pure meaning whole no inner division being the same person in one space as we are in another space in James's context speaking about the teacher still you want to be the person who is pure and not just the person who is pure but who advocates for people to not be divided or not a dividing personality A desiring and a leading people to healing and reconciliation around towards what is good, what is true, what is right. First of all, pure, understanding God and God's ways and God's wisdom. Godly living. There is a priority that James is putting on saying the wisdom that comes from above is that kind of whole, pure. Focused on what is right and good and true. So let's be really careful because the next seven adjectives can be understood as just almost peaceable and quiet and zip it up, and that's godly wisdom. But the pursuit and the priority of pure is actually quite costly and it actually can be quite noisy. See, pure seeks healing and reconciliation it seeks brokenness which means it sees brokenness which means the making the priority of pure sees sin and addresses sin the priority of pure the 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 wisdom of God sees injustice so we'll seek justice pure as a priority is loaded and has action It is not asking for inaction, or being quiet, or being overly tranquil. Why is this important? Because when we look at the next seven attributes, we have to understand that the focus is make the priority pure, and what is manifest are these seven attributes. Again, it's not a program. The focus should be on, first of all, pure. And the illustration of pure, the manifestation, just like envy, selfish ambition, manifest disorder, and every evil action, making the priority pure, was good, right, true, will show up in things like becoming peace-loving, peacemaking, considerate, submissive, full of mercy, good fruit, impartial, sincere. James is clearly interested in having peace within the believing community that he is writing to. It is a critical focus of his book. But in his pursuit for peace among the church, he prioritizes the kind of peace that actually has action and sees. A kind of purity, a hagney evidence of godly wisdom has someone called you considerate full of mercy submissive good fruit in your life impartial sincere peace loving remember godly wisdom is manifest not manufactured what what is said about you what about me and if these are not the adjectives or even in the neighborhood of the adjectives that those who are close to you would describe you with to call to first of all pure intimacy connection being the same person you are in every environment first of all pure as we close our time I just have a couple of questions what is manifest and manifesting in your life Your faith in Jesus is more than words. It's not what do you believe or what you say or what you declare. The question is what is being shown in our lives. And I believe there is this amazing moment for us right now as the followers of Jesus. That we can be more than words. That our good life. And our humility has the potential to scream out to the rest of the world. That's a different kind of wisdom. Which wisdom is winning in your life? Which wisdom takes your time, your energy, your money? Is it easier to point out the envy and selfish ambition of the other? And I think there's an invitation from God to examine your own life and heart. And ask the question, how am I becoming more, first of all, pure? We do that by understanding God. God's word. We, do, we can do that through intimacy with him. And in our being, what prayerfully will emerge is peace, loving, considerate, full of mercy, good fruit, impartial, sincere. First of all, pure. What gives me hope... Is that God didn't just give James words. That, these, that we have a God in Jesus Christ. Who was more than words. Who didn't just declare that he was the son of God. But by giving his life. By giving his good life. That all that he declared is true. In a week where many of us have found ourselves putting our hope in a political party or a political position or a candidate. I want you to be aware, and you'll see this in Dr. Baycoat. uh, Some of those promises are gonna be kept, but a whole lot of them are gonna not be kept. So at some level, some of this is just words. Now words are powerful. Words are powerful, but Jesus was more than words and Jesus will never fail. And if you have not yet put your hope and life into the one who gave his life for you, I invite you to recognize Jesus as savior of this world As savior of your life, as someone who cares deeply about you, who will never let you down, who will help you become a different kind of person. I pray that you would give your life to Jesus today. Father, we are grateful for your word and how it speaks so critically and clearly to us in any moment. If we would just have the humility to come to your word in all moments and i pray for us father as a congregation as a people that we would be the kind of people who are first of all pure who find our wisdom from you and you alone that we would be a kind of people in our pursuit of what is pure god that we would see real change, not only in our lives and in this church community, but in the world around us. Save us, Father, from ourselves, from the envy, from the selfish ambition, from the disorder that follows, from the potential violence, the division that follows. Save us from that, and we pray, Father, that those who call you as Lord in their life would be pursuing, first of all, What is pure? And God, I pray that that final verse that we've read would become more and more true. That we would truly become peacemakers who sow in peace that we would reap a harvest of righteousness. Father, we pray. We pray it be true in Jesus' name. Amen.